0: Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the High Wide and Handsome podcast featuring Rover Indexer from the Twitter football index community. It was a great episode, Uh, Rover really opened up to us on mental health and his uh, gambling problems in the past and I really appreciate his honesty on that topic. We also discussed the matching engine a little bit and uh, among a million other Football Index related topics. It's almost been a year of podcasting for me now, episode 52 is going to be a special one, a one year anniversary podcast with Football Index Focus and we have another couple of great guests lined up in the middle. Uh, between this episode and that one if you haven't dropped a review in the podcast i'd appreciate if you did it really really helps with charts i was actually number the number five football podcast in ireland there recently and i was in the top 20 in the uk so those revu- reviews really really do help and lastly just to give footstock the sponsors of the show a shout out um footstock you're probably sick of hearing about it by now but they've just been doing so well i mean to give you as a pitcher, like, and I'm not trying to sell an unrealistic dream here, it's just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. From trading alone, never mind tournament entries, from trading itself, actually trading on the market with our order book system, my portfolio on or collection value on footstock has risen by at least 40%, uh, probably closer to 50% over the past few weeks. There's a lot of opportunity to be had there. And this week on my YouTube channel, the live stream, in May it'll be every Thursday at 8.30, and I'm thinking in June it'll be on Sundays at 8.30. I'm going to give away a free £100 pack, so there'll be no better way to get your footstock journey going than to enter that tournament and hopefully win it. Um, So sign up in the link in the description, check out the competition on Twitter, it'll be posted in the next couple of days. And uh, yeah, good luck with that footstock journey. Restrictions have been lifted in some way today in Ireland. Um, I'm hoping they they continue to be lifted over time and hopefully I can see some friends from a birthday in late June. But for now, I suppose, just stay safe, stay at home, all that. Listen to loads of podcasts. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. And now I'm joined by the myth, the legend, Rover Indexer from Twitter. Rover, how are you? I'm good, thank you. And you? I'm great, I'm great. You're probably the first person I've referred to as a myth and legend, actually. Guess that's a compliment. Yeah, you've made quite an impact on the the Twitter scene. Now, sorry for anyone who doesn't give a shit about Twitter. We won't be going on about Twitter too much throughout this podcast, so don't worry about that. But Rover's kind of come in out of nowhere and makes about a million tweets a day.
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) (laughs) the. The circumstances are a big part of that, I think, right now with COVID yeah. and me being at home. I'm a freelance translator, so I'm basically sat at home in front of my computer all day and I was I was obsessing about the index. And then when well, obviously there was not a lot going on on the index, I then decided I was going to go on Twitter and uh, kind of obsessed over that a bit. That's just the way that I am.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. What What languages do you speak?
1: Uh, well, I studied French, German, and Spanish. Um, I speak very good German because I lived there for for five years. My French and my Spanish are somewhat more rusty. So. Yeah. So is it is it
0: German that you translate? Is it?
1: Uh, I translate well. I translate German and French mainly, but but overwhelmingly, I translate
0: German. Yeah. With the, the time you, you've you spent in Germany then, do you have any more interest in the Bundesliga than your average man, or is it just you, you care more about English football?
1: I lived in Cologne, so I watched quite a bit of FC Cologne, of Cologne playing, uh, and um, uh, my, my ex-girlfriend's family were big Bayern Munich fans, but I was never really that... I didn't like the way Bayern Munich were in the Bundesliga because I thought they, they kind of took away from the competitive element of it. Um, so I've always preferred the Premier League to be honest I think the Premier League's the most competitive league I know there's a lot of people who have got different opinions on that But for me the Premier League has always been the, the best one
0: Yeah well like whenever Leicester City can go and win it and Was it 2015 or 2016? I mean that kind of tells you all you need to know doesn't it?
1: Well, um, and, and Blackburn Rovers, they won it, but that was going back a bit longer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a few there was was about. Uh, tell, tell us a bit about yourself, maybe, and your football index story, like how long you've been on and, and any highlights, milestones, etc. Things you want to share, hmm. and then from there we'll, we'll go on into sort of current events.
1: Well, I've always been very into football, and um, my, my, my journey into the football index, um, obviously I've, I've talked on Twitter about uh, my history of gambling problems, um, but actually I hadn't been gambling for a long, long time. I, um, I quit basically all, all addictions that were problematic to me. I stopped them. Um, and I have a season ticket at Blackburn Rovers, and a good friend of mine who is a big Arsenal fan uh, was on the Football Index, uh, has a very big account, and um, very, very weird story. Um, a friend of mine who I go to the Blackburn matches with, um, his father knows the chef at Arsenal, and started to get offers of free tickets well not free tickets but tickets to go to arsenal games and feeling rather starved of premier league football i um, decided to start going to some arsenal games with him and through that i ended up contacting this this friend of mine who supported arsenal and he just mentioned to me oh have you heard the football index and I, i said no uh and to be honest i put the idea off for quite a while because i'm quite bad with starting new things but he was sending me screenshots of individual players and you know like Who'd made two thousand pound profit on him? On, on I think he sent me Pianic and um, uh, Teji Savini, a few few players he'd made massive amounts of profit on, and I just thought this is something that I need to look into, um, and so yeah, I, I put five hundred pounds into start and just sort of played around with it like most people do, uh, and it the money it just grew very quickly, uh, and I, I very within within a month I could see the potential of it, and so yeah, I put more money in and. Yeah, since then it's
0: just been been really good. And for people at home, I suppose then like how long have you been
1: on the index? Just to to get people. Um,
0: well, coming up to six months
1: now. Coming up to six months. Yeah. So
0: so not that long. Was so re- relatively new. You would have come in sort of just after the dividend increase. Um, yeah. Around Christmas. Yeah. 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 It's been a great time. I mean, January was a weird time with that transfer dividend, and and how how did like this is kind of talking about old events and how I plan on talking about. You would have been relatively new and that stuff was happening. How did you feel about how they handled the likes of the January like the transfer dividendy stuff and then it wasn't long after that. That what else did they do in February? They did something else, didn't they?
1: Well, as for the transfer dividend thing, um, that was very interesting for me because obviously I was new to the market and my friend was trying to explain to me how easy it is to get burnt on dividends. Uh, And this is something I didn't understand. So when they introduced this dividend there, any player that was over a pound that transferred, I think you got 10p of dividends. Was it something like that?
0: Yeah, it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And um, I was thinking, oh, this is great. You know, let's go for all the players that are like 85p, get them lots of people will do the same. And of course, what actually happens is that you get a lot of people flipping around about 95p. Uh, and very few of the players actually um, reach 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 the pound. So most people are were playing for the short term capital appreciation and completely ignoring the dividend, presumably in the knowledge that other people would be chasing the dividend. So you end up in a situation where you get the 10p dividend, but the capital depreciation is more than that 10p. So I hadn't yeah. understood that I hadn't understood that concept concept until I got burned by it a few times, um, and. I guess that is a kind of a dog eat dog element to the football index that you you have to basically find your feet quite fast. So I I got burnt quite a lot in the transfer window. Also with the the whole transfer rumour thing, I found that difficult because you have to bear in mind, it was my first window and people very often, they'll buy a rumour and then they will sell that news way before the transfer ever even comes close to happening. So I would buy a player, they would rise 15p, I would think great. Um, And then the player would just trickle back down to the same price. And obviously that's because most transfer rumors don't actually end up in a transfer. So these are all experiences and learning curves that I had to go through. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. I think, I think the transfer window of all the seasons and all the times of year, I think it's notoriously for beginners, probably the hardest time. Um, I, I would, I would say anyway, I think there's just so much going on and so many little short term stories and, you can I don't know if you've got certain apps or like if you're if you're watching the market you can see people flying up in price because they've been linked the United even though it's by the sun or yeah. some dickhead on Twitter, yeah. and then it never happens and then all the people jump out and they get burnt and yeah crazy well, there's this um, something
1: there's something that I feel quite strongly about actually and um I I can give it a very good example of that happening more recently and that would be with Jude Bellingham. Where um, he has been linked to Manchester United and he's been linked to Borussia Dortmund. Now I've seen a lot of him play in the Championship because unfortunately that's a division that I have to watch a lot of, and um, he's for me he looks like a really really good prospect. So I was I was I bought a lot of shares in him on the IPO day, and once he got linked to Manchester United obviously his price flew up. Um, But recently there was an article that was printed in uh, Die Bildzeitung, the German newspaper, which said it's something along the lines of um, the contract for Bellingham just requires his signature and he dropped about 25p based on this article. And if you actually read between the lines of what the article said, first of all, the, the Bildzeitung in Germany is something equivalent to what the sun would be or the mirror would be in this country. And secondly, uh, an article that says uh, a contract just requires a signature, it actually means nothing. It it means they've got it doesn't give you any new information. Uh, It it, it means absolutely nothing. It means we have nothing new to report. So we're going to write something uh, neutral. And I just found it staggering that that such a huge drop was caused by an article which was clearly, in my opinion, uh, meaningless. Uh, and I saw that with Bruno Fernandes as well um, during the during the January transfer window. One day the move was on, one day the move was off and the fluctuations, they were absolutely insane.
0: It's just once one person sells, another person sells, another person sells and someone watching the ticker decides, oh no, and then people get notifications of price drops and they're thinking, oh, there was an article released. Uh, and it's like, it's the worst case of that that I've got burnt with in terms of transfers um, and it's probably my biggest football index regret, hands down. Last October, November, I looked around, I was thinking transfer window's coming up, time to stock up. I bought like 250 or 300, Bruno Fernandes at like 240, 230. Um, and he'd risen and the, uh, you know, the Europa League was happening and Sporting were playing. and He he was up about 270, 280 and I was out for dinner and this was the killer because I know if I was at home I wouldn't have reacted. I was out for dinner and I got a notification saying he's dropped 15p or something Flicked open Twitter or Slack or something, looked, oh, Bruno signed new contract, new contract, new contract. I shat myself, I was like, look, I'm out for dinner here, I don't have time for this. I think I just I know oh, I listed him to market and within minutes he bounced back and then I just never got back in. you know when you kind of feel hard done by or you feel, oh, fuck, Absolutely. done, you know? Um, I didn't bother buying back in uh, until he'd hit like 380 uh, whenever the United rumours were heating up. And then whenever he hit like a fiver or something, I sold thinking, you know, it was about the 26th of January and I wasn't sure if it was going to happen. And then the rest is history. And that was all just trading stories and bullshit articles and panicking and worrying. If I'd have just thought, you know what, Bruno's going to go, or, you know, he's destined for bigger things, bought him at 250, forgot about it for three months, I'd have been sitting on a tenor player. Mm. But, you know, with Bruno Fernandes, the, um, the day that the news broke, um,
1: I I was relatively new to Twitter and I was really getting quite frustrated because Bruno Fernandes was up over a pound and I hadn't had any tweets from any reputable um, respectable journalists that this was that anything was going on. The only thing that uh, um, had been tweeted was Rio Ferdinand had tweeted that Bruno tweet. I don't know if you remember that. And um, yeah, a big bulk of that, a big part of that rise will have been based on Rio Ferdinand's tweets. So, which of course could have been inaccurate because Rio Ferdinand presumably doesn't have great contacts with Sporting Lisbon. So, um, but the, this is the problem with transfer rumours, isn't it? You 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 don't have time to wait for something more um, definite. You have to kind of either jump on straight away and hope that hope that the room is correct, or you have to be patient, but then you have to accept that the the bulk of the rise may already have happened. So I I um, I, I bought into Bruno Fernandez at about £4.50 and I was sat watching him in negative through practically the entire transfer window. And Obviously, that's paid off. It's now paid off very well for me. But um, it's, a, it's a difficult one because normally if I saw a player that was trending at over a pound up, I wouldn't go near him. Um, but sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and accept that, that obviously with bruno fernandez he he ticks so many boxes doesn't he with his pb game and he's obviously going to win a lot of mb at, at manchester united as well so
0: yeah definitely well look we, we'll move on because we've we've lots of questions to get through and a couple of current kind of football index events i want to talk about first one is just the matching engine that was announced yesterday we're recording on thursday this will be out on monday coming the matching engine did you have a chance to look at it about it the video have you any initial thoughts
1: so actually i haven't because as i knew it was coming on this podcast i had so many questions um to prepare for that i basically spent the entire day doing that yesterday so yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I really don't have a lot to comment on that to be honest so like what they're kind of doing is you can still just buy how you would buy mm. but when you want to you you can also buy by sticking a bid in so you can basically buy the price that's there or you can say here i'll give you this much and you can bet you can sort of bid up to like forty percent less than the current price, so within the spread, at the minute. So you can say if if Sancho's thirteen fifty, you go I'll give you thirteen ten. Um, but what's kind of thrown it all up in the air is you pay commission on that bid when you buy, and that that'll be from the thirty first of July onward. Um, so, so at the minute it's commission free just to get everyone trying it, but from the thirty first of July I think you'll actually have to pay two percent on any bid, which there's uproar about. For you know, the order book should be free that way in the purchase. But the other side of it is, if you're going to get a ten percent discount, you have to pay two percent for the privilege. You're, you're still making eight percent. That's so, how I see
1: it. That's how I see it as well. The, the, the commission is being charged on money that you're saving, so there's no point at which you you would be losing extra money.
0: Hmm. Unless us it just it's be something's... a case of there's no point in bidding within ninety eight percent of the value upward. You need to be bidding less than that. Now, the, the, the really interesting thing for me is the fact that I think they're hoping eventually to go to a full order book system, and this is just a stepping stone, and they do not want to be the market maker in terms of, they do not want to be the instant sell price. They want people that have two options for selling. You list it to market and you wait, or you accept a bid that's there, and if there's no bid there, you list it to market and wait, because that, that's how a market works. Which kind of, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity around the corner, I'm kind of got off on one here, Rover, and I'm sorry about this, but I've just been thinking about this. I did kind of a breaking kind of reaction podcast last night, but since I've been thinking, I think there's going to be massive opportunity in the lower end of the market here. I think on the top, there's a lot of liquidity and a lot of people who want to get those premium players at a at a better price. Like for example, Sancho, I think there'll be a lot of bids around thirteen, twenty, thirteen, thirty, thirteen, forty. I don't think there'll be a big gap. But in those illiquid players at the bottom of the market that have been static for some time, that won't have football, maybe they're outside European leagues, transfers aren't looking so likely, and they're sitting at 90p, and the spread's 40p, and you can instant sell for 50p, and everyone's just saying, fuck it, we'll hold on to them. There might be some wee gems in there that people could come in and say, here, do you know what, I'll give you 72p, and someone who's been sitting on a player that's 90p for ages will just say, do you know what, take them. Mm -hmm. I need the Mm -hmm. money. I think there's a lot of accounts here that can't really get the money out of players they want to get out of, especially in the lower end because the higher end is obviously more liquid. And I think there'll be a lot of sort of sniping, sort of, you know, wee bargains here and there. Well, my,
1: my experience is
0: you can exit
1: most trades with patience. If you, It just takes... It, it, sometimes it can take a long time. I, I've never had a, listed a player to sell that I've not been able to sell. It may have taken longer than I wanted, um, but it's, the players have always sold. Um, what, I'm, what I'm not entirely clear on is, what if they fully integrate autobooks into the system, will there still be an instant sell option, or is that no longer going to be on the table?
0: I don't think it implies that. I, I could yeah. be wrong. It, I could this, be it's... taking this completely wrong, but there was, there was a sentence last night that was something along the lines of, if there is a bid, you'll be able to instant sell. Or sell. I forget what it was, um, but there was, there was a sentence that made, implied to me that There needs to be a bid there for you to have that option. That will be the new instant sell. It'll be the bid.
1: Mm, Okay.
0: I I just think instant sell. Which is interesting. I think instant sell
1: is something that a lot of traders like. I'm not necessarily saying um, they should like it as much as they do. Um, Certainly, I think when you look at the amount of uh, listing and unlisting that's been going on recently since we've not had the instant sell option, that to me indicates that you've got a lot of panicky people that don't like the fact that they can't immediately get their money by instant selling so i i'm not saying that that's a good thing or a bad thing um, i think people need to be more patient but i think you've got a lot of people that are playing the in play game on a saturday on a goal day and they rightly or wrongly want to buy and sell lots and lots of players and if they don't have that option to do it straight away that might put them off the product so i'm not, I'm see, not- i think- no go. sorry
0: I, I know what you mean i think this is a big move in towards like once this order book system is completely implemented and we'll not bang about it on about it too much because i know it's been talked about a lot recently but this is a nice move in terms of starting that movement towards the order book system and i think football index's end goal is obviously to have a more robust system that is more intuitive to full-time or proper proper big fish wheel traders that they can come in and understand the platform and see how it works and just just get involved and i think the people who this will scare or the people who won't go and watch a youtube video or listen to a podcast or click around the app i mean if you're getting scared off you probably don't have a hell of a lot invested in the platform or you probably don't have mm. a lot of love for it anyway if that's mm. going to scare you i'm just i'm just reading that that sort of sentence i was, I was saying about to you that i couldn't quote it says here under instant sell you'll be selling at a value similar to the price seen in the red sell button ignore that This is the bit that gets me as long as there are bids in your footballer there'll be an instant sell option so that implies to me that in those players at the bottom of the market or any player for example um basically if you want to sell them and no one wants to buy them you just have to stick them to market and wait so it's it'll start to perform much more like an actual market not a gambling app where you have to bet or you you have a cash out option sorry well, I don't think that's necessarily a
1: bad thing for the market. But what I do think is that there are a lot of people that are using it for the instant gambling um aspect of it. So I, I see it all the time when, when you have a player gets a player starts and the loads, of, you see it going through the ticker, so-and-so has bought 300 of this player and they just fly through and then the player gets substituted or goes off injured and you just see sell, 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 sell. And now that has to be instant selling for it to go through on the ticker. So those people are willing to take an immediate, say 10% hit on that player just because he's gone off in one game, which for me is, is a ridiculous way to trade. But the, the mere fact that I see people doing that um suggest that there are there, there is a lot of that going
0: on so um, i think it'll just sort of change how people need to view spreads because those people who want to do that if someone goes off injured there'll be people that you can you can guarantee there will be bids for players that no one wants there will be audacious cheeky little bids 30 percent below and people will sell to that and it'll just become the new norm i think that all right my, my player's injured do you know, kind of like football index would have widened the spread and had a massive sort of spread on injured players or someone who's done their ACL. Hmm. There's always going to be cheeky wee bastards who'll come in and stick a bid in for twenty nine percent less, and hope that you accept it. And people will accept it. And I think it, it provides opportunity more than a lack of opportunity to the seller. Maybe I, I think I, I don't um, know. One thing that I've noticed, one thing that I've
1: noticed from being very active on Twitter, um, is that people trade a lot. In my opinion, this is people trade a lot more stupidly than than you might think. So I'll give you an example. The other day, Vincent Company, I don't know if you saw he was top of the media rankings. Did you see did you
0: see that? I actually didn't see it, but I heard about it.
1: Okay, well he was top of the media rankings and he was it was pretty obvious he was going to win media on that day. So that would be what, five pence dividend return? And his price per share was I think twenty two P. And the spread on company, obviously because of his age and injury issues and things, was I think his sell price was something like nine or 10p and bearing in mind this is at a time during which instant sell isn't even turned on uh he rose i believe 35 percent 6p something in value now that's that's six pence worth of, 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 of a, a 6p rise in a player based on getting 5p in dividends on that day and what's your plan after that who is going to want to buy vincent company the day after once he's not winning media i would suggest nobody so to me, that suggests people that are buying him and they've got absolutely no long-term plan there at all. They are literally thinking, if I buy this player, I will get five-piece of dividends tonight and I'll worry about selling him tomorrow.
0: Yeah, well, there's one way to learn. <laughs> it's like the people who bought the, the April Fool's Day joke, you know, it was it the Belarusian yes, Premier uh, League? Yeah. Um, there's there's one way to learn. But anyway, I know it's it's not great, um, but I suppose that's just people need to educate themselves and listening to podcasts and watching videos, etc. is a great way to do that. Um, mm-hmm. There's always going to be new traders. There's always going to be idiots. So... I think people
1: are. I think people are stubborn. You know, when I first started on the index, and uh, my friend kept telling me about, oh, you need to understand PB. You need to understand PB. And I was saying, no, I'm not bothered about that. I just buy the players that I think are good. Um, and it was just me being stubborn at the end of the day. Because if you, if you don't think that PB is important for, for the football index, then you really don't understand the football index, do you? But at the start, I I didn't want to put the effort into. He was sending me, you know, he sent me the PB matrix, and I I didn't want to. I just I wanted it to be fun and I wanted it to be lazy, uh, and and because I was already making money to an extent without understanding PB, then I thought I don't need to do it. But uh, once I actually did put the effort into understanding the PB, I realised that it's a quite that playing for the PB aspect on a gold day, on a match day, is very entertaining, isn't it? Watching you watching the different players and 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 it, it's 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 not just research that you need to do. It's actually fun as well.
0: Oh it's massively fun yeah I think there's a question about that down the line we'll get into but just before we get into the questions because there are there are a lot of them we're definitely not getting through them all well, this is the most we've had in some time um you've said to me and you I've seen you say on on Twitter that you're a bit of an IPO junkie you do enjoy a good IPO are you missing them uh certainly
1: I am missing them but I've also pretty much resigned myself to the fact that they are not going to be the same again in the future yeah. Yes, and, and uh, I have mixed feelings on that because, if I'm being absolutely honest, I've profited massively off IPOs in the past, but a big chunk of the profit I've made. So, for example, my biggest profit in, in, in the shortest period of time was on Ryan Cherky. Uh, and a, I would have made a lot of money off, off his IPO anyway, but a big part of the profit was because the system crashed. I don't know if you're aware about how that's happened with the IPOs. Oh, yeah. So, I, I bought... 600 uh, Cherries. Uh, I know people that have bought 10,000 jerkies. So if you think about that, buying 10,000, that's buy max, buy max, a lot of buy max, isn't it, to get to 10,000? And they got on at the same price for the entire 10,000 shares because of the fact that the system froze. Now that will have cost the, in, the football index an inordinate amount of money for sure, like an inordinate amount of money. And it's so when I say I've got mixed feelings, I made money out of it, but do I think that this? system crashing issue is a good thing for the index it's certainly not and we saw that with with tangana didn't we when he ipo'd and i think he peaked at something like three pound fifty when after the you know after the initial ipo his price went up to three pound fifty and tanganga people... are you... yeah no, yes tanganga yeah he got did he
0: go uh... that high i thought he yes, only he... went
1: up to like 170 or something it, it doesn't show it on the graph on the index but i've seen screenshots of people who've tweeted. That they actually bought Tangana. Tanga, is it Tangana or Tanganga? Tanganga. That's Tanganga. How I would
0: say it, but I could be wrong. Man.
1: No, I think you're probably right. I've seen screenshots of people who who had bought him. The system had froze, and they, their buy price was three pound fifty. They got it refunded. They got they got the money refunded, but uh, it, it's it's a problem. It's it's not, it, and and if that's happening to some people, then there's an, an element of lottery about it, isn't there? That obviously that oh, person. 100% that person's accepted the price movement but they were not expecting the price to jump from say 120 to £3.40 or £3.50 in in two seconds
0: yeah it's crazy I mean it's terrible for the index it's a terrible image it's bad for everything about the index but it's great from a selfish point of view I mean I've yeah. made a lot of money on the likes of Brandon Williams, Acheche, Kubo, Troy Park. I've made like a, a substantial amount of money like you're talking for no, it might be sitting there clicking around for a while but I mean, for a few hours' work, you could be making thousands in a day. And it is, it is from the selfish standpoint, sad that it probably won't be the same again. But for the good of the index and for, you know, the better the index is, the more money we all make anyway. I mean, it's a good thing that it won't happen again. And I would prefer that they didn't do it on the flawed system because it's just going to crash again. Unless they can ensure it won't crash or, I don't know.
1: I think they sometimes that they make a rod for their own back with the IPOs. So when I don't know if you remember when the IPO'd Jude Bellingham and Adil Ayushish on the same Ayushish the the French guy on the same day. I think everyone struggles to say his name. Let's just call him Adil. Adil, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, anyway, um, they they IPO'd Jude at like 5 minutes into the window and everybody bought and then flipped Jude lots of people made a profit on that and then you had loads of people with cash balances and they all ploughed that money into a deal and so everyone was talking the day before about Bellingham crashing the the index and the irony is that Bellingham was flawless and it was a deal that crashed the index but he crashed the index because of Bellingham being IPO first if that makes
0: sense And they sent out a, a notification to everyone with the app as well so yeah I get what you mean yeah. They, yeah. they do create a road for their own back but I think I think we could move on from IPOs um, I suppose like whenever they come back let's just hope it's a better system some sort of bidding system and it's fairer and smoother and Nasdaq are in control <laughs> um, but look we move into questions because we're, we're about 25 minutes in and we have 14,000 questions to get through oh, okay. um, the first few are kind of anonymous which I haven't had in a while in the podcast because some of these are pretty fucking anonymous I'm not going to lie to you lads so we fly over them but FI North wants to know do you think you could fight 50 cats at one time
1: Yes, I read that question and uh, I suppose I could give it a go. But I think...
0: <laughs> Do you think you could um, take 50 cats on? Do you think you could take 50 cats? I don't know. Well, I've never tried to fight one cat, to be honest. So I don't know. I, mean... I think a huge part of this question is, is the cat in the frame of mind of a normal cat where it will flee? Or is it a case of these cats are hell-bent and they have a clan mentality of we are 50 cats and we're going to kill you, human? If that's the case, they beat me. If these are just 50 cats, random cats in the street... And I need to walk through them and kick a few of them and survive. Then yeah, I don't know. It's a hard question. I, need I don't know. But could you kick? Week, could
1: you kick it? Could you kick a cat in the face? Would you not rather like stroke it? I love cats.
0: I I really do yeah. love cats. Um, yeah. This could go. Down I think
1: I think the answer is, if I was really determined to do it, I could probably beat 50 cats, but I'm not sure that I'd, I'd feel very good about myself
0: afterwards. I think the if the cats were in the mentality that they wanted to fuck Rover <laughs>
1: up, I think you're dead,
0: man. 50 cats, like, do you know, if they just went well, for of, it, of, you know, of, of course, you? Of course, he, he
1: didn't, didn't specify which kind of cat. If it was 50 lions, I think that I'd probably struggle. Yeah.
0: Anyway, on to a more random question, believe it or not. <laughs> more random Peng, than that. <laughs> Penguin, he throws me these every week on Slack, but we're, <laughs> we're going to ask it this week. And I think it's quite an easy one, to be honest with you. What would be worse, running across 159.4 meters of Lego for four hours at top speed or sticking a light bulb up your bum? Do you have an opinion on that? I'm sticking a light bulb up my bum every day. See, I'd have gone the other way barefoot well, well, well he didn't actually stipulate that you don't have to you can't wear shoes uh, actually i visualized the light bulb as
1: being as being red hot and switched on in which case yeah i just don't
0: know how that would physically happen or like how that could actually happen i'm just thinking like i'm taking it on face value penguin needs to put more thought into this well you well know, he didn't I mean... stipulate whether you can wear shoes or not and he didn't say if the light bulb is is charged or not so i'm sticking a bulb up my bum Let's be let's be honest. I've seen
1: videos on on the internet. You things that can get up bums are quite. You'd be surprised. But <laughs> <laughs> maybe I, maybe we're going off topic there. But to be fair, yeah.
0: I did I didn't ask this question. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next one. Okay. And this one is having a go at you a bit, but look, I, th- I think it's kind of random and a bit funny. Aribo, is he a 15-year-old child, a 60-year-old bloke with nothing better to do, or a 25-year-old woman with double D breasts? I can't sleep at night without knowing the identity of the clown behind his Twitter circus.
1: <laughs> so, I am um, want to give
0: your age away. I'm guessing you're a male based on your voice, but... I am. Uh, do you want a serious answer to that question?
1: Or... It's up to you, yeah, go for it. It's up to well, you whatever they- you want. So obviously that is alluding to the fact that I'm very active on Twitter, which is absolutely true. And um, well, I could go on about this for a long time, but uh, I I have schizophrenia that's on my profile. I'm quite open about that, about mental health. I I don't put it on there um, to to generate sympathy or attention. I put it on there because it's something that I think there's a lot of stereotypes about and I'm not ashamed of it. So I, I, I feel I like to be open about that. And I am quite, uh, an intense person, and anyone that follows me on Twitter will know that, and so, yeah, I do. I tweet a lot, and I can be quite annoying and quite controversial, um, I, I mean it all in a friendly way, actually, um, but yeah, I can, I, I guess, well, the answer to the question is that I'm a 36-year-old male, and I work as a freelance translator, as I may have mentioned at the start with my language connection, uh, I don't have a great deal of work at the moment, Uh, and so I've had a lot of time to devote to Twitter and I'm also single and I live on my own so my my dad and my sister, my brother all my family all live on their own and are all isolating separately so I I guess um, Twitter has been my sort of main um, outlet for social interaction over the last um, couple of months so hopefully once football restarts and um, I'm allowed to see (laughs) family members and things again I might calm down and stop annoying people so much.
0: Yeah, I'd say, I'd say, like, no, I think it's great that you're open, first off, I think it's great that you're opening up about mental health, I think it's very yeah. important that, and I said this here before recording, I think it's very important that in, I don't know, anything that's kind of male-dominated in particular, that people are open about mental health, because it's something that people quite often just close off and don't speak about, and the bottom line is, like, it's it's very real, and it needs spoken about, and, and the more, and as you put it in your, your profile, like, some people might say, oh, the sympathy thing you're on about, yeah. but I think it's about awareness, and it's about, you mentioned of the, confidence and the ability just like you tell people you have a broken leg do you know if you've a mental health mm-hmm.
1: issue you should be able to talk about it too well there's two there's two things so you can look at it you can as I say you can look at it two ways one way you could say that i'm I'm playing I'm playing a sympathy card uh and also it works the other way as well when when I when I mention it people sometimes feel um um they're not sure what to say back because they don't want to say anything offensive and I absolutely I, i'm completely open about talking about it it's just it's for me it's another condition like schizophrenia or you said like you said a broken leg or anything else um i'm i'm putting it out there because i think if if you if you talk to, if, you, if you met somebody and they told you you had schizophrenia i don't know what kind of stereotype you would would, um, would build based on that but i think some people have quite negative ones and so yeah. i'm basically saying look i've got schizophrenia and here i am and i'm talking and actually i think i'm reasonably normal
0: yeah yeah, well, hundred percent. You seem so so far. Time will tell with another hour to <laughs> go here. I'll tell you at the end rover. <laughs> but no, I think I think it's great you're open up about that, and um, yeah, I think everyone else should. You know, why mm. not talk about things? F. I. Potter, and this is kind of on the same topic. That's why I'm just rushing on to it. Why does he consistently do all nighters, still tweeting at five thirty in the morning while I'm eating my cereal before work? Is he nocturnal? First off, F. I. Potter, you're one to talk. Fucking eating your cereal at five thirty in the morning, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> And I don't wake up to 12 o'clock these days
1: <laughs> I am nocturnal though this i am once i i mean right now the things that I would normally do during the day such as going to the gym or going to my i, I attend various therapy groups and things self-support groups uh, I, I they're all off so I, I do switch to nighttime mode it's 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 just something that I've always done i've, I've had a lot of um, night jobs when I was at university I used to work uh, in a 24 hour shop I used to work from midnight till 10 in the morning so I think it's just something that it happens with me whenever, I, whenever I've whenever i got nothing to get up for during the day
0: yeah I'm fine like now because I mean I have nothing really again to get up for which sounds quite bad really but like I mean it, it is what it is I mean I've had the same amount of waking time now but I'm not waking up most days I mean the last couple of days I've been up around 10 or 11 but I mean every other day honestly like sleeping into 12 before I hadn't done that in a couple of years and now it's like the norm like 10 o'clock is early um and then occasionally i have to get up for work at seven and that's crazy to do that a couple of times a week but um yeah it's just a weird time i think i mean also and also with,
1: with with me the nature of my work is that i can go two or three days without getting a job and then i can get a massive job which requires like a monumental amount of work so uh, i often have to adapt my my sleeping routines and things i have to be I, it's very hard to keep a, a a normal daily routine with my work
0: Well, look, we'll move on to some of the the real shit, do you know? Yeah. The real questions. So I'm just, in no particular order, guys, there are a million here. Definitely not getting through them all. We'll try our best. Um, But again, in no particular order, the first one up, Robert Blake. Great guest. I've seen rumors around dividend removal. Is now the time for FI to remove them as we focus on order books? The reason I stuck this first is just because I want to address it. For anyone listening who's new to Football Index, dividends are critical slash they have to be there without them, football index does not exist it's a policy scheme without them they they need to be there they will always be there there is no worry of them being removed if, if they were removed you'd be just buying people for the crack i mean it wouldn't make sense
1: so respectfully i think this i think the person that asked this question doesn't understand how any financial market works in that as you've just said dividends are that they are absolutely essential there's so there's it's not not to be offensive because maybe he needs to do some research himself, but of course they can never ever ever be gotten rid of.
0: I mean, if he if he's new to the platform, it'd be understandable that maybe you know if he's only been on a few weeks that he, he hadn't thought about maybe the market as a whole or the bigger picture. But Robert, rest assured, dividends will always be there. That is literally the kind of the reason football index is what it is. I think you got
1: to remember on Twitter that some pe- people just sometimes think out loud. So you can say yeah, I, yeah. I, I tweet a lot and sometimes I read my tweet and I think, what the fuck did I just write? But then you've got to remember that, you know, it's, it's Twitter. It's just it's just a conversation that you've that you've typed out. So sometimes people say things that he might have written that and then thought, why did I write that afterwards?
0: Yeah. Well, the other thing is, there's no such thing as a stupid question, is what they always say. No. But I mean, no, no, Robert knows. And I'm sure there's more than one other listener out there who hadn't thought of the bigger picture or who's new and it's answered that. So, yeah, just wanted to address that very quickly because I think it's something that that if you didn't know, you need to know. Uh, Mark McBride, how do you think order books will improve or affect liquidity? And could we see sharper rises and falls based on market valuations when launched slash more volatility? You were saying you haven't thought too much about it, but. Well, I,
1: I definitely think that there will be a good thing. I, I, I can't see any way why they wouldn't re, uh, improve liquidity because they give you uh, give you new options for for buying and selling. So that's got to be a good thing. Also, as far as I understand, and I don't don't hold me on this, but uh, they are supposed to be very simply linked to how Betfair is at the moment. I think. So if that's that's true, then that potentially would entice a lot of customers from Betfair over as well. So could be beneficial in that respect.
0: I've never actually used it's probably fair. No, I haven't books. either. People we'll reference it a lot, but I think the thing you need, people need to realise with order books in terms of liquidity, I mean, I could be talking out of my arse here, but I think it can only affect liquidity in a positive way. It can only make yeah. it more liquid because there yeah. won't just be a buy-sell and an instant-sell price or you join the market. There will be much more little deals in the middle. It'll just be constant kind of Geez, there's three twenty there. I'll offer three twenty two. I'll offer three twenty three. I'll offer three twenty four, and then someone bites, selling Sancho for three twenty four. That's his new price. And you know, I think it'll just be a lot more people chancing their arm left, right, and centre. We bids here and there, and I think it's just going to make make the whole thing move a bit quicker. Um, I do. I think if you want to sell someone, there's probably going to be someone there to buy them. And whenever it's a full order book system, and you can come below the like current price of that player, if that's the way they're going to go. Um, which adds its own complications in terms of how they they introduce new shares to the market and stuff, but we'll not get into that. But if if they go full order book and and I see that Sancho's thirteen fifty, and I say, do you know what thirteen twenty? Give me that, and someone says, all right, and then that's his new price, and he's dropped thirty p in an instant. Um. Oh jeez, there's so much. I think the thing with this order book is it's all very well to speculate, but realistically, we won't know until they release more information.
1: This is why getting, this is. This is why I didn't want to give too much of an opinion on it because I tend to prefer to let something happen and then actually try it myself and see how it works because until we actually see it in action and see how people use it, and let's be honest, it's going to take a few months of everyone getting used to it before we actually see how how, how good it is. But ultimately, my gut says to me that why would FI want to do anything to make liquidity worse on a product? It doesn't make any sense that they would do that. So I'm confident that this will be a good thing going forward. I think there may be some turbulence at the start, but that's normal when something new happens, that sometimes people panic or they don't, because people, when they don't understand things, tend to panic, don't they? But that's not a reason not to do it, is it?
0: Exactly. And I mentioned it briefly on the kind of reaction to that announcement podcast, the kind of midweek one. um, I've got a couple of podcasts lined up with people who are well, well sort of, educated in the order book kind of world one of them works for a company that literally builds order books and has a lot of has a lot of experience in trading and the other one is the same just a lot of experience in trading with order books and i'm going to do podcasts with those guys and talk maybe more about it when we know a bit more a bit of an introduction to order books sort of some sort of nice little ways to trade them some little nuances tricks of the trade um, and also maybe speculate about what football index could be doing and how it will affect the market so I mean, as much as these questions are great, I'm really going to address them further down the line in kind of like a bonus series to an extent. And I
1: think, I think, I, I, I think it's so. Uh, so obviously, I've said that I'm definitely not an expert on this, this subject, but I think it's better to address them once we've once they once it's actually happened and once we've actually seen how how they work a little bit, don't you?
0: Yeah, I'm sure we would all continue to speculate, but we won't really know until we see it or until we get an expert on. Kane Watson has asked, "To what extent do you believe the elite youngsters in the English game justify their current prices based off hype slash sentiment alone? The likes of Bellingham and Bellingham, ease easy is it easy or easy? Easy, uh, easy, yeah, easy, yeah. easy, Gilmore and Harvey Elliott all outprice the likes of Caverly and Harvey Barnes etc. despite little Premier League experience." Mm. Mm. Uh,
1: okay. Yeah, what do you think? Well, well what I think is that um, they do and they don't justify their prices depending on how you look at it. So, if I take Gilmore as an example, um, I think he rose, he had that really good game, didn't it? Was it against Liverpool in the FA Cup? Something like that, yeah. I think, yeah. And he rose something like a pound in, the, in that game. And after one game, he was then more expensive than most of the other Chelsea midfielders in his position. Uh, I would absolutely have been looking to sell him at that point. Um, but. That that situation where you have these massive rises in one game with youngsters is always going to happen. When when you have a young lad that ha- comes on has a really good game, he's going to fly in that game. Now, is is Billy Gilmore now? It's still worth that price. Now, I would I would certainly rather have my money in someone else, but um, I'm aware of the possibility for this huge capital appreciation in youngsters in in one or two games. And for me, um, so if you take my my profit. Uh, something like 15% of my overall profit is dividends and the rest is capital appreciation. don't know how that compares to other people, but I look at dividends and, of course, dividends, yes, they they, they determine the prices of players and people often say, oh, you know, well, Bellingham's £4.50, whatever, and he's never won any dividends. Um, can he justify that price? Well, he can in, in other ways. Um, if he doesn't go to Manchester United, will he drop? yes. Um, but if Bellingham was to go to Manchester United next season, he's 16 years old. What do we think the likelihood is that Jude Bellingham is going to win PB as a 16, 17-year-old lad at Manchester United next season? I would say pretty low. I see so, a Daniel
0: James, Daniel James type graph occurrence. Um, I don't. Well, his, his English is the only difference.
1: Well, I, I don't entirely agree with that because I, th- I think with Daniel James it's slightly different. Daniel James had a meteoric rise at Swansea where he was, uh, he just burst onto the scene, he was going to go to Leeds, that fell through, and then he had a really good second half of the season. I think Manchester United was a big step too far for him. What uh, you've got to remember is Daniel James is, what, 18, 19? Is he something like that?
0: Mm, yeah,
1: I'm not actually sure. So so it's a big difference, the fact that Be- Bellingham was, was just 16, I think, when he made his debut for Birmingham. So the, the fact that he is that good, with, you've got to bear in mind, if you look at Sancho, how good has Sancho got from... Leaving Manchester City and going to so between 17, 18, and 19, going to Dortmund. Uh, if you look at the ability of Bellingham now at 16, and you you factor that improvement, uh, you, you you sort of project that forward for two years. Potentially, you could really have a world-class player on your hands. That's how that's how I see it. Um, whether it's worth holding Bellingham now or selling him to put money into another player, that's a that's a genuinely difficult question. I'm still holding him at the moment because. I think if he goes to Manchester United, which I personally think he will do, then there will be another big rise in him. Um, I might sell him at that point, if I'm being absolutely honest. Um, but then again, if Sancho was to go to Manchester United and hit, say, £16, for example, I'd probably sell him as well. I'm not saying that, that everybody would do that, but I, I'm i not sure that Sancho, once he's at Manchester United, is going to be winning more PB than Bruno Fernandes, who is currently less than £10. So the point is that a player can be worth that amount of money at one point and then afterwards you might think the money's better spent elsewhere. So another example I'll give is Cherky. Um, When Cherky made his debut, okay, he had a ridiculous debut. He scored two, he assisted two and he won a penalty. And he rose well over a pound in that game. Perhaps, with hindsight, I should have just sold him at that point and maybe bought back in because his price then stagnated for quite a long time. So, I do see massive value in the elite youngsters, but I am myself currently reevaluating my idea of them all being long term holds. Because I think potentially you can get a big profit, sell the player, and then have that money as a cash balance to potentially put into another elite youngster, you know, who's not risen
0: so much. It's almost like cycles within cycles, you know, buy them when they're cheap, whenever they have that kind of breakthrough, that milestone, sell and put it into another one. Whenever they stagnate and drop in price, you could get back in. There's a lot to what you were saying there. There's a lot to it, and I mean, even in terms of like the kind of Sancho, Bruno comparisons, and there's a lot we could talk about there. I mean, even the likes. I think the difference with Sancho to Bruno in terms of price. I think the reason why he could be twice the price of Bruno or Bruno and a half, which he currently already kind of is, is the fact that it is his age. He's what five or six years younger than Bruno. Um, is Bruno? A, Bruno will be classed as a midfielder, isn't he? Yes, yes, you've got Sancho due way. the forward change, which would be huge and to be out of, a posi- out of a different position than Bruno, and having Bruno supply him at United, English media potential to be a world beater, like proper proper world beater. I mean, I don't think maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm, I don't even think I'm it because the stats kind of back it up. If you're looking at an English player who has the potential to be the world's best or go down in history as one of the greatest players ever, if you're looking, and I'm really not trying to overstate it here with Sancho, but like, if you look at the stats, I don't think there's been an English player in the last 10, 15 years that is, has been as exciting from that kind of attacking winger, world beater perspective. I don't know. Maybe I, I, I absolutely,
1: absolutely agree. With, I absolutely agree with you. Um, I just think Sancho at Man United at 16, 17 pounds um, at that point if someone, I'd, I'd still expect Trent to return a lot more PB than Sancho. I'm not This is no criticism of Sancho at all. So it, it, I think this is something that I've struggled with on the index. The fact that a player is phenomenally good doesn't automatically mean that they are good value for money. So I, the example that I use, and again, people will disagree with me on this at the moment, is, is Haaland. I think he's a phenomenal player. Not sure how good his PB is going to be. And right now, I wouldn't be buying to him at nearly £8 when I see the price of...
0: Sorry, I'm I'm cutting in there, but I think what you're missing there with both the Sancho and Haaland examples is the media. I mean, that is literally like for, for Sancho going to United, I'd say over half of that, maybe 75% yeah. of what you're looking for is the media. And I think the reason Haaland has risen so much, honestly, there's a huge amount of people wagering that media is going to change and become more continental and more around Europe. And if that happens, someone did research. I talk about them every week at this stage in the podcast, but don't know who it was. Um, they looked into like keywords and all this sort of shit across like big sort of papers in Europe. Haaland actually misses out in the most media and his name and stuff. So I think a lot of people, aside from the Bundesliga returning early, aside from the potential United move in a year or two, I think a lot of people are kind of banking that as the most exciting young striker in Europe, he's going to get fucking media if they change this. If they change the media to reflect European media more, which would make sense for opening up into Germany or Spain or wherever, make it more of a European sort of matrix. So if it's they do benefit. if they do that,
1: and I, and I have no idea exactly how they will do that, but first of all, if they roll out media into Europe, does, how many countries will that incorporate? And um, would there still be, so obviously now we have media madness, but once football resumes, on a, on a normal match day, you have one media spot. So we're talking about one media spot for potentially multiple European countries. Um, so I'm just wondering how much there would be more, more. European players would have a greater chance of winning media, but overall, all players would have a, a smaller chance of winning media. If that makes sense, unless they unless they increase the dividend positions.
0: I know what you're saying. I do know what you're saying. I'm speculating. Yeah, it's a, this is proper speculation. God knows what they'll do. I think it'll always be somewhat England biased or yeah, it'll be a long transition but I think if they are going to open up into other countries and there is going to be pooled liquidity you need to give those lads something too with their youngsters and their up-and-comers um, in terms of one place per day that's just the way it is whenever football's been played but there are a lot of media days throughout the year I mean there are a lot of them <sighs> they'll probably increase those dividends in some way along with PB this summer you'd imagine um, I don't know. Again, it's all speculation, but I, I can see why, and I don't hold Hall and I sold him not too long ago. Um, I do think, I, I can understand why people value him as much as they do. I mean, if you're looking and you're going to back the football index going forward and you're not a particularly active trader and you want to buy players that you think will rise with the index. Yeah, I get that point, yeah. Do you know, absolute elite proven Sort of like Mbappe's, Harlan, Sancho's, these boys—the future of European of football, the future of football, unless something goes absolutely tits up. So that's
1: that's your that's your long term trader who's buying elite, who's buying players that they know are, are highly likely to be better players in the next in, in in a year's time, and therefore they assume that they will appreciate in value, and that's 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 a sensible kind of trading. But I think most people that trade on the index trade quite um, the more short term. So so. All I'm saying is, if I personally were held had held Harland, whatever price, I think he's risen about one pound fifty in the last in the last month or six weeks. Personally, I would be looking to sell and put that into a player with more potential for capital appreciation. That's not me saying that Haaland's a bad hold. It's I think it's about opportunity opportunity cost, and I I would see better value elsewhere. I think it's a very sensitive subject because um, and I've had a lot of. Uh, arguments about this on Twitter Um, it's not that I'm necessarily talking down a player I think Haaland is a great player but I think you have to to have a balanced conversation and sometimes I think a great player so one of the points I've made on on Twitter it's and I can understand both sides of this argument is Timo Werner at twice the price of, of most of the other Liverpool strikers now I know people say oh Liverpool's Strikers aren't suited to PB under Klopp's system but who knows who says that Werner would be any more suited under Klopp's system we don't I'm not saying he won't I'm saying that we don't know I mean if Werner went to Liverpool would he get penalties off Salah I'd suggest probably not would that have a big impact on his PB I don't know but if you look at Bruno at Man United a huge amount of his PB has been linked to having penalties hasn't it
0: yeah, it's a hard one. I think that's such a hard thing to speculate about. And I know there's people who do articles about it, and there's people who try to speculate. It's that when someone moves team, will they do well at that other team? Will they carry that PB? And I think Liverpool at the minute is just such a hard place for PB, and I don't know what it is mm. about them, but there's Unless no a fallback other than Trent, exactly, yeah. Yeah. who really stands out. Maybe Virgil occasionally, but as far as you know back's
1: cool. another point with Liverpool that uh, that I found interesting and this is something that I hadn't realized earlier on the index so I saw um, Angelino when he left City and went to Leipzig fly up in value and of course now that I think about it that's just a logic behind that but I would never have thought to even consider buying Angelino based on moving to Leipzig because I think Premier League's more interesting than 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 Bundesliga, But obviously the fact he wasn't playing at Manchester City, the fact that Leipzig are good for PB, many reasons why he rose, that was very obvious. But I think it's interesting because you get players who, who, who one player can be better than another player, but circumstances can make him less valuable. So I think a really good example of that is Robertson at Liverpool, who I'm pretty sure is a, a better player than Tierney at Arsenal although there are comparisons that are being made. But Tierney is currently more expensive than Robertson, despite the fact Robertson will have played, what, every game practically last season, and Tierney was injured. And the the, the sole reason for that is that he's more likely to win PB at Arsenal than Robertson at Liverpool because of Trent.
0: Yeah, it's crazy sense. that, you know, the value. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's that whole kind of... And we'll move on to another few questions here just to keep this moving. But quickly before we close up there, it's that kind of competing within the team. Like anyone who's at Man City competing with Kevin De Bruyne, good luck to you. If you're at Barcelona, you you move to Barcelona as a forward. It sounds amazing on paper, but whenever you actually think about the fact someone's competing with Messi for PB, like mm. yeah. it, it actually decreased their value. It, it's kind of like Mbappe with Neymar. If Neymar wasn't there, he would be way more expensive and that's probably why a lot of people back him because they know they're not going to play together forever Mm. but we'll move on very quickly here i'm going to group three questions up vespasian martin b and fi chemo have all kind of asked about this elite young player thing and we've discussed it a bit there so we'll not go on too much but just to give you the kind of two questions and we'll talk a bit about it vespasian's part was who do you think the main three elite young players are at the moment how far do you back them long term? As soon as they make the first team, when they transfer, etc. Like, do do you wait for a milestone? And the second part is what makes a youngster elite. Like, how do you define elite? Like, how long before you decide they're more Ravel Morrison than Wayne Rooney?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's obviously that again is a matter of individual opinion. Um, for me, the, the two that stand out, and I think this is very obvious, are Bellingham and Cherokee. So, not to go on about that too much, but the thing that that impresses me more than anything about Bellingham is I follow him on Twitter, I I listen to a lot of what he says, and he is an unbelievably mature person for his age. Um, This, it's interesting when you mention Ravel Morrison, because um, to be a good player, it's all about having the right attitude. Ability is one thing, but if you don't have the right attitude and commitment, then you've got no chance. And I am just so impressed with what I hear from Bellingham. He's, he's, He's just... You'd have to listen to him yourself, but he's just such an exemplary young person. And based on that, I, and having and having seen him play, I just think that he has every single poss- And and you know, let's be honest, Bellingham has been scouted by half of the top teams in Europe, and that doesn't happen without any reason. So I think with him, the sky's the limit. Whether that makes him value for money right now, I mean, at four pound, nearly five pounds, is, is a different question altogether. Um, but if I, if I had shares in Bellingham now, I, I'd, I'd think the likelihood of them being worth more in th- within three years' time would be high.
0: Yeah, very good. Is there anything else you want to talk about on that? Will we move on?
1: Uh, well, I, I suppose briefly to mention Adil. That's an interesting one as well. He's very controversial, apparently, in the Slack community as well, um, because people seem to be convinced that he's going to be a superstar. But that can only be based on statistics or YouTube clips because he's hardly played any game time at all for Paris Saint-Germain. So um, I don't know how much you can gauge a a player's potential purely based on statistics. I'm not saying that you can't. and And he was, I believe, absolutely phenomenal for some of the France, possibly France under 19 or something like that. I think he scored a insane amount of goals from midfield um but for me I saw Cherky play a few times and I thought he was amazing and that was what convinced me to buy him and with with Ayushi Adil or whatever his name is um I'd like to see more of him play before I I committed to buying him
0: that's all about that eye test not that I'm
1: saying he isn't going to be yeah I'm not, not it's not that I'm saying that he's not going to be a great player you know um I just think that I I personally, it's not that I don't value stats, but I I think the eye test is important as well. And I think what people tend to forget, this is going slightly off topic, but is that um, a lot of people that are using the index are not looking at statistics on Slack. They are watching games and buying players that they find exciting. And even if that doesn't correspond with PB, then it's still going to happen because people are playing it for the fun factor. That's what a lot of people are doing, and if enough people are doing that, then you can still make money off that, even if that player isn't necessarily... So, you know, you have players like Adama Traore, a lot of people say, his PB isn't that amazing, but if you listen, if you watch him play, and you listen to what people say, everyone's been raving about him this season. So, for sure, the amount of hype that exists around him is going to generate buys, even if he doesn't win that much PB.
0: Yeah, it's like, it's those dribblers and flair players always have a premium attached because your more casual fi trader who just signs in and doesn't necessarily check stats and sitting in the pub at the weekend and sees St. maximum beating three boys and then sticking it wide they look at him and geez the crowd were on their feet that was amazing he's going to be the next best thing so that that the flare aspect obviously it has a premium attached a, a nice question here from fi gardner who i'm waiting for a personalized like lawn cutting thing do you know i'm waiting for him to do <laughs> something for okay. me maybe one day please <laughs> what matters more to you on in football index profit or enjoyment
1: it's a great question that um it's actually a really difficult question to answer because um you know when i was when i was gambling when i was younger and i was, had problem gambling uh with fruit machines i always thought i was doing it for the money and actually now i look back it's very obvious that i wasn't because i was losing money pr- practically every day so if i was doing it for the money then I would have had to come to the conclusion that I needed to seek a different, uh, gambling addiction or, or, or find something, something more, something better to do with my money. So it, what you think you're doing something for, isn't always what you actually are doing it for. So most people will say with the index that they are doing it for profit. And I'd say that I'm also doing it for profit, but let's also remember there's a link between profit and fun, isn't there? Because if you were losing all the time, would you be enjoying it? Let's be honest. You probably wouldn't. You need to be, Part of the fun is in picking a player that you think is good and seeing that player rise. So that's that's a a direct link between the two things, isn't it? It's the fun element of picking a player and watching them play and the profit element connected to it. So for me, they they are very much joined together, these two points. But I think people that think that fun is not important are possibly deceiving themselves. I think the amount of time and effort that we all put into this uh, is definitely... We enjoy it as well to to do that much, don't you think?
0: Yeah, I think it's I think that kind of enjoyment slash profits a weird one when it comes to gambling in general. Because I mean, if I'm sitting at home and I'm watching a football match midweek and I'm not going out meeting the lads or whatever, like this Saturday, I can tell you. I will probably use a traditional bookie for the first time in a long time and stick an accumulator mm. on the German games because it's that entertainment value. It's that I'm sitting at home, I have another thrill to the chase, I have another thing to add in. If I was going to the cinema, I'd be paying more than a tenner that the tenner are going to put on as a bet. If I was going to the pub, I'd be drinking five pints and getting a thing of chips or something and spend 30, 40 quid in taxis, etc. So it's that entertainment value. I'm in the house, I'm sitting here on a tod. This weekend in particular, COVID and all that football back. If I stick a 10 or 15 quid in an accumulator, it's almost just getting bang from a buck. It's like, all right, I'm making a day of this. Do you know, the enjoyment mm. factor and football index is a huge part of that. Like I I talked about this, uh, I wrote an article, I think it's FI or Trading Insights. It's where uh, Westy and Vespasian write a lot it's their site. And I wrote an article about kind of condensing the portfolio down from whatever 20 players to like four that I said I was going to do. Billy Big Bulls here, like. And I just couldn't do it. I got down to like eight or maybe a few less. can't really remember now. Um, I wrote about it anyway. People should check it out. But it was that it got to the stage where it was just like I could be going six days, seven days. If, if players were injured, I could have been waiting 10 days before anyone was on the PB charts or chasing PB in any sort of way. And it just took the whole enjoyment of FI out of it for me. And I just, that's nah, not for me, even though maybe it could have been more profitable.
1: I think what's important to do um with football index and this is something that i struggled with at the start is so two things that i suggest doing as a test Uh, watch a game where you have no players involved you know no players in that game are in your portfolio and can you still enjoy that game for the football value without knowing that you're not going to make any money off that game Um, i think that's something that i genuinely struggled with at the start so every time there was a game i was thinking right which player do i want to buy And I realised that 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 might be an enjoyment strategy, but it's not uh, a sensible one for profit. Um, So I had to accept that that actually um, sometimes I'm going to watch a game. You know, Bournemouth might be playing Crystal Palace on a Thursday night and I don't want to buy Dominic Solanke. So um, I think that's important. And I think another thing that happened with me was, I I remember the first time I went to the Emirates to watch Arsenal with my friend, um, I had a lot of shares in Gabriel Martinelli and... Uh, Aubameyang had been suspended the week before for, for a, quite a bad tackle, and Arsenal were appealing it. And I remember saying to my friend, oh, I hope that he doesn't win the appeal, because I knew if he won the appeal, then Martinelli wouldn't play. And then I, I thought, well, that's not really the right way to think, is it? If I like watching Arsenal, I want Arsenal to win. I shouldn't be wanting their best player to be unavailable to play so that a player that I hold can start, if that makes sense.
0: Mm. I don't know. I'd definitely be like that. It's kind of like fantasy football. It's like wanting your team to get beaten so that you score points. It's It really tests your loyalties, doesn't it? Well, do you know what?
1: I spoke to a friend of mine um, about betting in football and um, I said, um, would you ever bet against your own team if you went to watch the football um, because that's something else that's relevant to the football index, isn't it? You, you quite often will have shares in players. So I have shares in Man United players and I'm not the biggest Man United fan, as most people will know on Twitter. Um, but recently I've actually enjoyed, I've, I've been semi-supporting them with Bruno Fernandes and that's been a very weird feeling. And so if I went to watch my team Blackburn play Man United, I can't imagine a situation where I would ever bet on the first goal score to be a Man United player. Even if that would be the most sensible bet from a financial perspective, I couldn't do that. But my friend, who is Welsh, he says every time he goes to watch Wales play, he always puts a bet on Wales to lose. And his mentality, his thought process, his thought process behind that, that is that either Wales win or he wins money. And actually, that makes sense if you think about it.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting I've I've had people do, I've heard of people doing that before. Mm. My dad did, mm. I remember England were playing Ireland in the rugby recently and he's my dad supports two teams, like Ireland and anyone Night. England's playing. And <laughs> <laughs> Ireland were playing England and he backed England um, in the rugby. I don't know this was a year or two ago when I was like, What you back in England? He's like, Yeah, do you know with the announced odds and dad? And he's like, Look, either I win money and it, it it sort of dampens the blow or or we beat them. So yeah, I've heard of that happening before. We'll move on um, because there's a, there's a few questions there on kind of the problem gambling side of things that I want to get into in a couple of minutes. But we'll try and answer these and we'll consciously do this as quick as we can, right? Just to give these boys a shout out. So I don't even want any other massive reasoning behind it. But tell me this. Luke wants to know, in terms of relative prices, who would have been the highest price ever and when? Is there a player in your head you think would have been, yeah, he would have been worth a fortune then? What do you mean in the history of football, Like right? if The, the history index of football, who and when...
1: Well, is that not just kind of like saying who's the best player in the world ever? Kind of.
0: Kind of, but I'll put it to you this way. I would almost say Sancho's not a bad bet for this, and I'll tell you why. Because I think in terms of relative prices and football index, highest price ever and when, so far to date, I don't think, and I've said this before in the podcast, in terms of stars aligning, I mean, you can have Messi at his peak. You can have players who are playing out of their skin every week. But for football index pricing, you need to have more than that. You need to have a mm, player mm. with potential. You need to have hype. You need to have a big transfer. You need to be English and you need to be young. You need to be Jaden Sancho. Mm. Uh, so the, the English argument. yeah. factors, obviously. Sorry, I'm talking over you there. I don't think Rooney at United already in his prime is worth as much as Sancho is now because he doesn't have those other significant milestones to hit. He's already hit them. He's the best you player not think already.
1: Beck- do you not think Beckham at peak though, with married to the, married to Posh Spice? Yeah, maybe the media uh, side there. I think he'd have been as popular as Pogba for media, and obviously Pogba's media is, is well known and he's not even English. So I think Beckham potentially yeah. um, would not have been. Excited. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Joe Smith has asked. Really excited for this one. Can't think of a big question, but here's one, and we'll just pick one each. Tonali or Awar, Hassan Mawar? You had to pick one. Um, well the are different kinds of players
1: um, I've, that's a difficult question because he's asking if, if the players both played in exactly the same position then um, it would be an easy question to answer I'll put I, it to you
0: this way you, have, you can take 100 of either of them and you get them for the next 10 years who do you take 100 okay. of? ok but based on circumstances
1: I would take again is it O.R. how do you pronounce that? I, I should know yeah. as I study French but it's it's think a hard that's it. I, I, think I don't the know. Reason, the re- the reason I'm saying that though is based on circumstances as well because I think that Tonali is quite likely to stay in Italy, whereas I think Awa uh, is quite suited to playing in the Premier League and I think it's quite possible that he might. So obviously that has an impact. I also I like to watch him play. He's very he's, he's more attack minded player. Uh, I, I for my sins I like to watch Leon and uh, so I, I would go with him. Fair but good. I think Tonali's a I think Tonali is a phenomenal player. Just to be clear on that though. Mm.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with you. I mean, I, my answer was exactly the same as yours. So yeah, agreed. Um, just a quick plug there. If if no one, if there's anyone listening who hasn't tried Football Index Edge, use the link in the description. You get two weeks free. Go and check it out. I mean, they have a lot of great downloadable content, and their spreadsheets are amazing. They really are. Um, I mean, there's more than one content, or uh, more than one data provider out there. Is something you should be aware of, and it's worth giving it a go. So there's two weeks free if you use the link in the description. I mean, you've literally nothing to lose. You can just cancel it if you don't want to. Fi Pompey Josh, and uh, this is probably our last question before we move on to the the kind of problem gambling section for ten or fifteen minutes. Um, who has been your most risky hold and why?
1: So I thought about this quite a lot and. The answer is Bruno Fernandes, I think, which may sound a little bit weird when you look at him now because he's arguably now one of the safest holes on the index. But I actually instant sold Haaland in order to buy him because, um, well, I was discussing it with a good friend of mine and he was saying to me that he didn't think Haaland would rise that much at Dortmund. Obviously, to be fair to him, none of us were to know that Haaland was going to score a a hat-trick in which in in what in ten minutes?
0: Um, yeah, he takes anyway. seven goals in like less than a game's worth of time or something stupid.
1: Yeah, and and of course now I've said that people are going to think that the reason that I'm I've been uh, sort of bashing Haaland is because I got burnt on him, uh, which maybe there's an element of truth to that. But the point is that the great thing about the index is that I had this conversation with him with a view to putting the money that I sold that I got from selling Haaland, into um, Bruno. And I did that. And it was the riskiest thing I ever did because I instant sold Haaland with with the the spread wasn't too bad at that point. And I put the money into Bruno who was already on that day over a pound up. And I can tell you that's the most I've ever felt like a a compulsive gambler on the index. Um, And I felt very, very bad about doing it afterwards. And then I had to sit watching Bruno in the negative for a a couple of weeks um, when all the fluctuations were happening. And then... Or uh, I think the day before deadline day, the story came out that he might be going to Barcelona and then he had another big drop and that was a very difficult period for me because it, I could have lost a lot of money on him and on, um, on Haaland. And the, the fact of the matter is that had Bruno Fernandes gone to Barcelona, then I would have lost a lot of money on that trade and I probably would never have got it back. So was there an element of luck in that he went to United? Yes, But at the same time, for me, it was very obvious in that window that Man United really needed that kind of player. And I I felt like the Barcelona thing was a smokescreen to try and get the thing moving um, because it was kind of a bit deadlocked, wasn't it? Um, And it it was only like a couple of hours after the Barcelona story broke. And to be honest, the Barcelona story was something like Barcelona were going to sign Bruno Fernandes and then loan Bruno Fernandes out to Valencia so that Valencia would sell them Rodrigo. And I just thought, well, hold on a minute, Bruno Fernandes, for one minute he's going to, you know, the, let's hate to say it, the biggest club in, in, in this country, and the next minute he's going to be loaned out to Valencia. Surely, like, that's not what Bruno Fernandes wants to do. It just didn't sit well with me. So, actually, I would have topped up at that point had I had more funds available. But in the end, Bruno Fernandes turned out to be uh, a, a great hold. But, yeah, at, at that point, it was he was very risky, for yeah sure.
0: I think for me, like the risky, just a funny kind of story. It's it's kind of around your instant selling to do something. I instant sold Jaden Sancho when he was around eight quid one IPO morning because I knew I was off for a few hours and could have, like, have fun with some IPOs and make a load of money. So I instant sold Jaden Sancho after the like I get a very small spread at the time and plowed it all into, was it Brandon Williams? I got very, very cheap. Um, mm-hmm. I got him at a pound, I think. Yeah. and flipped him out when he hit 160 or something. Made mm-hmm. it so I basically sold 100 Jaden Sancho's, and by the end of the day I had enough for something like 160 Jaden Sancho's. So I'd made like hundreds. Um, so it was a good move, but the bad move about it was that I didn't do what I'd planned to do. My plan was instant sell him, make loads of money, and then buy put all the money back into him. I didn't do that at the time. Um, I only put some back in. So I, I if I, I had think... I held the Jaden Sancho's, I would have made a fiver per Sancho and. You know? I think the
1: interest, the interesting thing about it is that the process that you just described, and the same one with me with Harland, if you were to apply that to normal day life, it's it sounds very reckless, but it can yeah. be very profitable, can't it? And I think yeah. that's something that's quite quite difficult. And I think people that are, that are that are more risk averse on the index tend not to do as well. And it's 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 very hard for me to say that because I'm it's almost like I'm promoting being irresponsible. But in in actual fact, so I've done exactly the same thing as you just said. When um, Bellingham was going to IPO, um, it was a Tuesday night. It was a Wednesday morning. On the Tuesday night, I was at the football and I listed half of my portfolio to sell, knowing that they were probably not going to market sell. And I was fully intending on buying Bellingham. So I instant sold three or four of my big holds. And you could see that a lot of people were doing the same thing because you just see it the the day before IPOs. You just see players dropping all over, don't you? Um, for for the money to go into the IPASS. Now, whether that's good for the index, I don't know. But what I can say is that I have done that process two or three times on on every time I've made a, a very significant chunk of money out of it.
0: Well like it is incredibly risky and on the face of it it sounds absolutely disgusting and horrible but the reality reality of it is was that I knew what IPOs were, I'd done them before and I knew what I was getting into and as a grown man I made the decision and the risk assessment that I was happy to take that risk on board and that I was comfortable in the fact that if I sell him for minus commission on the spread, a 5%, 6% hit at the time, um, I am guaranteeing myself, I know in my head that there's a risk involved, I could be late to the IPO, I could scratch my, my arse at the wrong time, but I was happy to take the bet that there's a chance here that I double my money or whatever, and it paid off, but the, the dickhead side of it was that I didn't buy back into Sancho immediately, I let him go another 50p and then decided, yeah, I'm back on, Um but-
1: talking about the emotional aspect of it which i think is something that people underestimate how did you feel when you you sold those shares and so you're sat in front of your computer waiting for brandon williams to ipo and you know that there is a chance that it could go wrong how did you how did you you nervous or
0: well this is that when i talked to denise Schul about this on a podcast about emotions and trading and stuff i mean when i look at that like i it, it wasn't a like nothing i have in football index is going to affect my life if i lose it obviously i do not do not want to lose it of over 10 grand in there now i don't want to lose that that would be horrible but it's not going to mean i can't pay my mortgage or that my dog doesn't get his dinner or me and my girlfriend don't go on holiday or have to sell my car so i mean it's not like the heart was racing or that i really cared about it um I made the decision that I'm gonna make more money if I do this potentially, so I'm gonna do it and I fucking did it and I did and it worked out, thankfully. I'm sure there's a lot of people get bitten. I'd have been absolutely raging if it had been one of those IPOs where you get stung or where the site crashes, but thankfully it was a smooth one when I made that decision. But the emotional cost is something people need to factor into their trades that quite often they don't. You need to think about how is this gonna make you feel? Is this gonna affect your sleep? Is this gonna are you overexposing yourself here to the extent that it's gonna Affect your, I don't know, just your quality of life and how you're feeling, your mood, because you you don't want to be affected in that sort of shit. You you don't want to make a bet, and it's not just the financial aspect; it's the emotional toll it would take on you potentially. and it's something people need to well, talk
1: about. I had I had one of my my craziest days on the football index. It was the same day I was talking about before when I'd gone to watch Arsenal play um in the Emirates, and I'd sold um Haaland the week before. And during that game, he scored a hat trick, his debut hat trick, and I came out of the ground, and Harlem was like well over a pound up, and I was so angry with my friend on that day, uh, and I was just in, I was I've never been in such a bad mood, and I was just it was I was it was a genuinely horrible feeling, but I think it was important for me to go through that because it's something you have to accept on the index that you are going to sell players and th- that are going to rise massively after you've sold them. It's something that it's, it's 100% going to happen to you sooner or later, so you have to be okay with it. I know a lot of people that make money on, on, on the index by constantly making 10% on a player and selling that player. And it's a very profitable strategy, And but that means that they're constantly selling players who are continuing to rise. And so they've got to get their head in the right place to do that, because a lot of people feel the need to, to rinse every single penny out of a rise that's possible. And the fact of the matter is, if you try to do that, it's going to be difficult to sell at peak, because... Well,
0: you know that. Well, it's yeah, and just to close off on this before we go into kind of talk about the gambling side of things, it's something I think people really need to think about is the worst case scenario. But whenever you make a trade, think, All right, I'm gonna sell him, I'm gonna buy him, or I have five hundred quid in the cash balance or twenty quid in the cash balance, whatever it is to you, I'm gonna buy him. What is the worst thing that could happen? If I'm selling Halland, the worst thing that happens is that next week he goes to Man United and scores fourteen goals in his debut. Do you know? It's kinda of like you need to think about aside from the financials you need to think about your emotional side of it and are you able to cope with that and is the financial potential financial gain from this transaction worth the potential emotional downside like it's something that needs considered you need to think about your happiness and your your mental health and it's something that, that a lot of people overlook so whenever you're making a trade think about worst case i mean if you're not you're being irresponsible you need to be thinking about right okay what are the ups and downs here and if the downs make you cringe inside and make you sad, maybe think twice about the trade. And move, moving on from that, I suppose, just into the kind of, so for the next, I don't know, we'll try, we'll try and make this about an hour and a half. So for the next 10, 15 minutes, we're going to talk about this kind of, the, the problems you've had with addiction and, and gambling in particular in the past. Um, and I'm going to just start off by reading a couple of statements from doubters, maybe, to what you were sort of saying about it, how you feel FI has helped you. Um, and then I'd ask you questions that people have submitted. So... Mr Market FI said very worrying that this guest thinks that FI has helped with the gambling sorry, I butchered that. Very worrying that this guest thinks that FI has helped with the gambling problem. Very poor message. And Kieran Fraser has said but it's just a different form of gambling. I think anyone who says they're a problem gambler and Football Index is helping is just sticking a plaster over the hole and thinking the issue is solved. I suppose leading in from that, then FBI trader has asked, what kind of things do you do to manage your addictions and what have you found to be the hardest thing to keep control of with regards to FI?
1: Well, first of all, I've had a, a many, many addictions, not just gambling addictions, drug and alcohol, all kinds of problems for a long, long time in the past. And I, I don't take drugs, I don't drink, haven't drank alcohol for several years now. And I know that I have very, very good self-discipline. And I know with problematic addictions that, the only way I can succeed is to completely abstain from doing that. So, if football manager, sorry, football manager, football index, football manager, football manager was, was definitely another one. But um, if football index were problematic to me to the extent that I, I literally couldn't stop doing it and I was, it was completely t- taking over my life, then I would have to stop doing it. But that's not how it is, and I, I you know, I've got my app on my phone and I go four hours without even checking it. Um, that wouldn't be the case if I had a can of beer on the table, it wouldn't be able to sit there for four hours without me doing it. So I know that I have the self-discipline to do football index sensibly, and I have been doing it sensibly. And it's not about the fact that I happen to be doing well on it. If It's it's not taking over my life. And when I said it, 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 it had helped me, um, I don't know if those were the exact words that I used, but, um the kind of gambling that I used to do, I think people tend to think I'm talking about bookies and going going over and bookies. For me, I was addicted to things like uh, fruit machines and roulette. And in my opinion, there is absolutely no comparison because if you take for example roulette, you can put, the, the thrill about roulette is that you can put a lot of money on red and you can feasibly double that money in a second or you can lose that money. Now with the index, you put whatever amount of money you want onto a certain player and that money will trickle up and down. Sometimes it will go fast, sometimes it will go down fast, but it it, it goes on for three years. And really, if you want to do well, you have to have an element of patience, which is something that most compulsive gamblers don't have. So for me, it's absolutely, I'm not saying that it's not a form of gambling. We can discuss whether it's investing or gambling. And that really is about semantics because those two words are often interchangeable when you talk about the football index they FI themselves refer to it as uh, gambling but they refer to us as traders and i like to, I, I my opinion is that we are trading um and we are investing i don't i don't see any way the amount of money that i've got on the football index there's no possibility for that to just turn into zero whereas if i was to put all that money on red in the roulette then that could feasibly happen so for me it's it's totally different i'm not condoning i'm not saying that for everybody football index is, is going to be fine i'm not saying that it if it is problematic for you if you can't you know live your normal life around the football index or if you are losing stupid amounts of money or you're putting in more money than you can afford if you're putting in the money that you need to live to, to for, for, you know for living expenses into the football index then it's a problem um but for me personally that's that's not the case
0: hmm. and what what have you found the hardest thing to keep control of with regards to football index as fbi twitter said is there any element of football index that you find more sort of troubling or hard for a gambler than or a problem gambler like what what aspect would would kind of be like you have to kind of fight that urge
1: so the in play thing for example uh, i think you've got a lot of people who want to bet on football on a saturday and they expect they want to try and win money on a saturday and they will do whatever they can to to make money on a saturday and most of those people will end up losing because they'll be buying in the instant selling when the player doesn't perform and each time the instant sell obviously they lose money on that so there are i'm not saying in play is something to be avoided i think there's lots of ways to make money off in play but my my personal experience is that there's much more profitable strategies out there than in play um, so I think you have to be OK with the fact that I, I, I often don't make my my portfolio value is often lower at the end of a Saturday than it is at the start of it. But it, it, by Monday or Tuesday, it's usually back up again. So I think you have to just be OK with the fact that you might have this idea where on a Saturday you're going to sit with your mate, have a couple of beers and play on the football index. And, and if, if it's going to ruin your day that you might end up down then that's possibly something that you need to look at. But actually, it's happened to me many times, and my portfolio has always recovered within a couple of days.
0: Yeah. Um, Metropolis has asked in on the forum, in terms of problem gambling, there's no doubt Football Index is a good alternative, but does he foresee any downsides? For example, FI is live 24-7, which is both an advantage and disadvantage. Does he feel FI could become addictive for some? You've kind of touched on that. I just thought I'd give him a shout-out. I mean...
1: Well, uh, definitely it can, but at the end of the day, that's down to to self-discipline, you know. So when it comes to gambling, there's all kinds of measures. You know, there's been this recently this measure to stop credit cards from being used on gambling sites. And in my opinion on that is it's not that I don't commend the fact that they're trying, but I don't think that it's going to make any difference because when I used to be addicted to gambling, I used to try all kinds of tricks like that. So I would go to the bank and get them to reduce my um, with daily withdrawal limit to, to 50 pounds from 300 pounds. I would give my cards to my friends, but then I would just weasel my way out of it by going in the bank with my passport and withdrawing cash or demanding my card back off the other person. And ultimately, I realized that the only way that I was going to succeed is by finding the self-discipline in myself to be able to, to control that. Uh, and so yes There's definitely that potential With um, with Football Index The fact that it's there 24-7 But that's something What what can they do about that? Should they turn it off every night? They, they can't do that At the end of the day that, that has to come from you From the individual
0: I think like the thing you said about I think there's it's obviously hard And it was actually a video idea I thought of doing Or like a series on Football Index I don't know if it's a good idea Or if it's a bad message And a bad idea I genuinely don't know I'm torn i was thinking it'd be fun to try a series where i try and lose as much money as i can i actually actively try and lose as much money i can uh, as i can and that's the thing i think with football index it kind of protects problem gamblers in terms of it can be quite hard to lose money it can be i mean there's i mean i'm making it sound a bit idealistic but to lose a large percentage of your portfolio could be quite tough um but it doesn't stop people overexposing themselves in terms of de- over depositing and that's something you touched on, I think that could be a huge problem for, for people, because I know even in myself, whenever I first got into Football Index there was this massive feeling within me of missing the boat and of FOMO and of, geez, I need to get money in here now and, you know, maybe letting sacrificing some things in my personal life just because I'm thinking like, geez, do you know what maybe if I don't take that trip now and I stick 500 quid in the Football Index, I'll reap the rewards down the line, which Maybe I have. I could argue that I have now, and it did pay off. But at the time, am I prioritising a gambling platform over over certain aspects of personal life? Probably. And is that a good thing? Probably not. It's a weird one. There's a lot of
1: very predictable rises on the, the index. Um, so just in the last 24 hours, the Moussa Dembele Man United thing, he's up like 33p today. I haven't bought into him, but the only reason is because I don't have any spare cash. This is something that I plan to work on myself, having a cash balance. I think that's more difficult than people realise because you have a cash balance, you buy the player, you either hold that player or you sell the player. If you don't sell the player, then you no longer have the cash balance unless you happen to have like infinite supplies of funds, which I don't. So um, I have I've had to accept that it was very obvious yesterday that Dembele was going to rise, but I haven't made any money off that. And and at the end of the day that did used to frustrate me, but it's not going to be long before there's another opportunity. And the fact of the matter is you just can't get on every opportunity. But if you are seeing, if you are able to predict the rises, then sooner or later you'll predict one and you will be able to get on it. And so the FOMO thing is is difficult, but I now see that there's always another opportunity on the football index. And maybe that won't be the case forever, but there is in my opinion there's still infinite amounts of growth to go on in the football index. And I I don't think that we're anywhere near to like the market being fully saturated.
0: Swiss Mark FI, he's actually next week's guest, has asked, what made you switch from traditional gambling to football index? How does football index give you that high or adrenaline rush that traditional gambling did? Or do you not need that high anymore and have mentally switched from gambling to trading?
1: So I didn't switch directly at all. I've I've had a massive period of abstinence in between. But as I said before, I, I now know when I look back, I used to play fruit machines and I wanted to get the jackpot. And it, if the jackpot was £50 pounds and it cost me £70 pounds to get it, I didn't care because I got the jackpot. In actual fact, what I'd done is I'd lost £20, pounds, but I'd got the jackpot. So that makes me realise that it was more about the it, the, the, the thrill of doing it. Um, with the football index, I think if I was losing all the time, then it, I would see it as a bad product and I wouldn't bother doing it. You know, So there is some there's definitely a thrill like when when a turkey rose a pound in a day and i had 600 shares in him i made a, a massive amount of money in 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 like half an hour and i'm not going to lie that that's not um something that i enjoyed but it's not something but i i also accept that it won't happen all the time
0: yeah that's the thing i think i i really do get the kind of thrill that i would have got from sort of traditional bookies from pb i mean for me they're kind of watching the game, it's kinda of like watching for a first goal score or like watching your player hoping he gets the assist or gets a key pass or gets anything. Even just watching him on the ball, one twos, one twos, great. Just keep keep adding those P B points on. Um it, it does do a lot for me there. I think what's important with PB is that a big problem with with um,
1: compulsive gambling is people chase their losses. So say you're playing, I know I always use the roulette, but it's the best example. Say you put a bet on 10-pound bet on the roulette and you lose, then uh, you'd put 20 pounds to try and cover that loss. And if you lost again, you'd put 40 pounds on. And that's fine as long as you, you eventually win. But sooner or later, you get a, running, a, a streak of loses and of losses, and uh, you, you can't, and you, you're really in the shit. Um, but with the PB thing, it's great watching it happen. I remember the first time I had a big win on PB. It was Bruno Fernandes, actually, uh, and um, it was, I think it was, he played Watford during the day, uh, and in the evening, PSG were playing against um, Bordeaux, and Marquinhos went ahead of Bruno Fernandes, and I had to nip to the shop to get some stuff, and I was really angry, but then I was thinking to myself, well, oh, he's still going to get... Uh, win top midfielder, he's just not going to win star player. And I didn't even understand PB that well at that point. I came back and Bordeaux had scored another goal, which meant that Marquinhos dropped points because he was a defender, and uh, and Bruno then went on to win star player. So that was a huge rush for me because I actually thought once Marquinhos was ahead of him that that was the end of it. But of course it's not, is it? Because you can lose points, can't you, with PB? So that's that's one important thing. The other thing is what you have to accept is that if it gets to the end of the day and you haven't won PB. A compulsive gambler would want to chase that loss, but you can't really do that with PB, can you? You can't. At the end of the goal day, if you haven't won it, you have to accept it. You can't just play another goal day during the night. So that chasing your lost element isn't isn't there as much. And also, I saw it happen with uh, had Virgil Van Dijk, and uh, he. I thought he'd won PB for the day. I went for a jog, and I came back, and some goalkeeper called Radkovic Predrag Radkovic uh, had yeah. won PB, and. I thought it was a joke because I, I, I didn't even know that goalkeepers were capable of winning PB, let alone star player. But as, as frustrating as that was, I think it was actually good for the product, wasn't it? Because goalkeepers are, are chronically undervalued and it just goes to show that really anything can happen. And so even though I lost money on that day, uh, well, I didn't lose money. I just didn't make money. I, I still thought it was a good thing that the goalkeeper had won PB. I still saw it as a benefit for the platform.
0: Yeah, I know that, that's an important way to look at it. The last question, I suppose, and we'll wrap this up, and I think we've already touched on a lot of it, but it's just to give him the shout. F index plus PL plus an addict, which kind of means he's a football index FPL fanatic. I know the guy, yeah. <laughs> do you worry you've replaced, we've kind of talked about this, but do you worry you've replaced one gambling product with another? The only difference now is you're winning, so it's not a problem. What happens if profits dry up and you start losing? I'm not trying to piss on your chips. I just know how dangerous addiction can be.
1: Well, you'd have in order to be hundred percent sure of that, I'd have to be actually losing and be able to tell you how that feels. But um, so it's it's a difficult question to answer because my honest opinion, which may sound irresponsible, is that um, it's very difficult to lose on FI at the moment if you if you're reasonably savvy about football and you do your research first. And so I think the the product is going to continue to grow and most people are going to do well off it. Um, if I were losing. I don't think I'd want to do it, to be honest. Um, whereas when I was gambling, I was always chasing my losses. I was going back the next day and uh, it never occurred to me that I was addicted and that I, I I was never going to be able to to reclaim those losses. So I, I for me, they're completely different. And also I haven't just switched from, haven't just decided to stop playing roulette one day and start um, doing the football index the next day I had a long long period of abstinence from gambling and I I, st- I started football index very slowly and always with the awareness that I am a compulsive person and that I need to be careful with this and so far I haven't had any problems I haven't ever had a situation where I've put money that I need to eat into the football index for example
0: mm. uh, forgive me this is just to wrap it up again as I said but it's just something that's in my head and I apologize if this is a bit too personal just tell me to fuck off in terms, you'd mentioned kind of therapy and stuff, and you'd mentioned things like this. Have you ever been to like a Gamblers Anonymous type setup?
1: Yep. I, well, I, a long, long time ago now, I went to Gamblers Anonymous, and I, it was when I was still addicted to fruit machines, and I didn't, I was nowhere near ready to quit gambling, to be honest, at that point. My dad had kind of forced me to go. And going to a gam, any kind of Gamblers Anonymous group when you're nowhere near ready to quit, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but. Uh, it's unlikely to to, to work for you. You have to actually want to quit. But when I went to this group, uh, some of the people that I met in there, I realized that, so I, I met a Muslim man who had, um, a very religious Muslim man who had emptied out his daughter's life savings and put them all into fruit machines. So you can imagine for him, religiously gambling is, is as as, he, as part of his religion he's not allowed to gamble and he's basically stolen money off his own child and this guy was completely utterly heartbroken mm-hmm. and i realized that he was sick not bad if that makes sense uh and i saw i saw people that were that were way 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 worse than me so yeah i've been to i've been to gambling on anonymous groups yes what,
0: what i was gonna say about that is obviously i think maybe based on what you're saying their timelines they mightn't have synced up but how do you think? Kind of, I don't know how those meetings go. How do you think they would react if you said, "Oh, yeah, I'm not gambling, but I'm on football index." Do you think they would say, "That's not"? I, I don't know how these meetings go. Would Would they accept that, or would that be sort of frowned upon, or what would the sort of?
1: Well, absolutely. I think, absolutely. I think that they would not accept it. Um, and I think, but this is a problem that you generally have with a football index. You know, I've tried to get a lot of people to sign up to the the ten pound. Refer a friend thing, but um, most people assume that it's some kind of betting scam or something. People people have preconceptions, don't they? Uh, and I think, you know, most I think most people that like football that try the football index will agree that it's a good product. And I suspect if if I went to a Gamblers Anonymous group and got a load of people to try it, then some of them would agree that it was a good product. But I would never do that because it's they're coming from a position of knowing nothing about it and. It's, it's a difficult question because it is it is gambling at the end of the day and I, I, I wouldn't ever want to encourage if I saw someone that had a gambling problem, but I'm not saying that I'm cured from my gambling problem, but yeah. I, before I started going the football index, I hadn't gambled for, for about five years. So it's not like I I just immediately said, oh, I'm addicted to gambling on fruit machines. I'm going to try the football index. That's That never happened.
0: Yeah, and it, I suppose it's everyone's unique and everyone's situation's different and it works for you. It doesn't mean it work for everyone else. I, just, I was just interested to in know if it would kind of, I don't know, if it would be something they would ever entertain or...
1: Most people with addictions that go for treatment are treated with another addictive substance. So uh, not to go off the topic too much, but heroin addicts are treated with methadone, which is just as addictive as heroin. It's just more socially acceptable. So they they still, they they still are still an addict. They're just addicted to something different. Whether that's a good treatment or not, that's a separate thing altogether. So I'm not saying that if you're addicted to um, betting on the horses and you come into the football index, that it's a good thing for you. But I, I personally think that this is a much safer gambling products than than a lot of the other ones that are out there
0: well look uh rover i really do appreciate your your openness and your transparency but that's an interesting kind of insight into that world and i really do appreciate it. and i think it's very important that people talk about mental health and sort of addictions in general so thank you for that but i think it's time to wrap it up is there is there anything else you'd like to talk about just before we do that quickly or would you or where would you like to be found
1: where would I like to be found? Well, everyone pretty much knows that I'm on Twitter, um, so yeah, that's that's the only place that you're going to find me right now. But you'll find me there a lot. So that's <laughs> if you haven't blocked. If that's if you haven't blocked me, which a fair few people have, and uh, that's a shame. But hey, <laughs> well, sure, maybe you'll subject. get a
0: few unblock you after hearing you here, but they might just mute you. <laughs> Who knows? I, uh, I hope
1: I hope so because Twitter, you can come across people can come
0: across. I I'm, I'm
1: my sense my comedy is quite dry and uh, i sometimes come across as me as being offensive when i I definitely don't mean to be offensive at all i'm 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 actually a a good guy i just sometimes like to have a laugh and things like that and i think with twitter it can and i think it's a shame because when people block you then there's no way to go back from that you can't message the guy and say look sorry if you misunderstood that because you can't contact them anymore Mm. and it's it, it, it actually did frustrate me a bit at the start but now i realize that at the end of the day everyone has the right to, to tweet to use twitter how they want so you have to respect that absolutely
0: well look Rover, it's genuinely been a pleasure and i'm sure we'll talk again mm-hmm. but um thank you for your time
1: absolutely no problem i've really enjoyed it
0: cheers